what's up y'all how you doing this is your hostess chrysalis sun with be the vibe radio and i'm so glad that you guys are tuning in again to another episode can you tell that i'm like super lit for no reason right now oh my goodness i am i feel so good today for no reason and i'm just rolling with it so I actually am going to be doing a very different type of episode this evening. Um, I kind of want to just talk informally and share my own personal story. Um, I get a lot of people who ask me how I started on my journey and how I knew that I was supposed to be doing what I'm doing. And I've been, you know, I've been getting that question for years, like ever since I've pretty much been doing work with other people. However, um, I got the question again in one of my in my inbox and in my DMs on, on Instagram and it really kind of sparked a dialogue that I felt would be really great to bring to the podcast to make an episode to dedicate an entire episode episode to. I know that I have dropped you know bits and pieces of my experiences in different episodes, but I've never done like a full on like this is my story type episode so tonight is the night that i will be doing that so tonight's topic is how i got started on my spiritual journey uh with a side topic of how did i know that i was supposed to be doing this work and to just put the answer out on on front street uh i didn't (laughs) i had no idea when I first started this path that I would be doing any of the things that I'm doing right now. I had no idea that I would be doing work for other people, that I would be, you know, just taking on clients. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, uh, if I had my life the way I thought it would be, I'd be somebody's lawyer somewhere, you know, like that's what I originally had set out to do was to go to college, go to law school, become a lawyer you know, get married, have kids, um, get a house, retire, like the typical um, thing that society says that we're supposed to do. Uh, However, my ancestors and the universe clearly had other plans for me. (laughs) And that definitely became apparent by by the time I I hit my mid-20s. So that is the answer. I didn't. I didn't know that I was supposed to be doing this work. There's a lot of experiences that I had that just led up to where I'm at right now and I'm gonna share those experiences so how did it start that that's the initial question is how did this all begin for me where did this all begin and my answer is that it started as a child um I can say with confidence that I was born with the gifts that I have and when I say gifts I am specifically speaking of the gift of sight and the gift of discernment So my mother, you know, she talks about me as a child and the tip, the the main thing, the main thing she talks about is how, how imaginative I was, how creative I was, how explorative I was and how I, a lot of energy, high energy, you know, a Leo child, anybody who's a parent who has a Leo child, you understand. (laughs) That we are a ball of fire, a ball of energy. And so that's the type of child that I was. 
But my mother also talks about how I just had this really keen sense of discernment. And, you know, as kids, that, that, those gifts are unfiltered. You know, kids just say whatever. Kids are just honest as fuck, like brutally honest. <laughs> and so there's no filter. So at that time in my life as a child, I had no filter. I just saw what I saw and I would just call it. And my mother at first kind of just dismissed my my gifts. You know, she just kind of just took it as me being just a kid. Um, but there was a couple of stories that she shares. She shares one story where she was dating this guy. His name, he was Albino. We called him Casper. <laughs> totally non-PC, right? But his nickname was Casper. And um, I didn't like him. As a kid, I did not like this guy. And I told my mother he was a liar, you know. And this is, I'm like five maybe six years old and my mother was just like oh that's not nice to say that about adults and she just kind of was like chastising me you know for calling an adult a liar well come to find out a little bit later down the road he ended up um stealing money from my mother and lying so ever since then my mother kind of started believing me when I would tell her about people so you know that was me as a kid and I was always introverted uh, I just kind of preferred to be by myself and I was very, um, you know, very much about absorbing knowledge. So the other part about me as a kid is that's interesting is that I was very advanced in my pursuit of knowledge, meaning that I was interested in topics that at my age was like I should not have been as an now that I'm older, I realize that like I should not have been interested in these things, you know, like for like it was out of like my age range. Like for example, like I'm in third grade reading about Greek mythology and Hinduism and um, you know um, Buddha, and I'm in fifth grade reading Shakespeare, and and I've always been an avid reader. Yeah, that's you know that was my preference to go find a book go in the corner and read I didn't care about being social um I made friends easily though I wasn't like I wasn't like that awkward kid um well I was but I wasn't awkward in a sense of not being able to make friends but it wasn't something that I was trying to do either. Like, if I could go off in a, in a corner with my book, I was good. If people, kids came up to talk to me and want to play, I would play. You know, I was okay with either situation. But my preference was to go out and, and just read and, and write. And so I was into all of these things as a kid that was just, <laughs> now that I'm older, I'm just like, wow, like, that totally was just, like, way above, like, my my age uh that my my typical typical age of interest um so that was me that was me and um you know I also was very much um you know just always about exploring all about the imagination and then I realized that there's certain things that I had as a kid that weren't it wasn't as innocent as I thought. Like, for example, like I had these imaginary friends that I would always talk to. My mother would always be amazed because I would have this whole background story about who these people were and what they were into and what they were about. And they were quote unquote imaginary. But now I'm older, I'm thinking they weren't imaginary, but I was talking to spirits. <laughs> so 
that was me as a kid. And the funny thing about it is that as an adult, not much of that has changed. Like I'm still very creative, very imaginative, very explorative, still very much a nerd. I have more books than I need to have. Um, I'm always just researching things and absorbing knowledge and I'm still introverted. Like I'm still very much prefer to be alone. Um, I people when I have to, but I'm okay with just being by myself. So those are certain characteristics of mine that have just never changed. I also will talk a little bit more about my gift of sight. So my gift of sight consists of and and consisted of at that time of prophetic dreaming. So this is where I kind of had the hint that I was different from other people because I I would have these dreams that come true. And I can pinpoint exactly when that gift completely turned on full force. I was 10 years old and I remember dreaming that this boy in my class came on the bus, sat next to me, gave me a kiss and was like, you're my girlfriend. And then like a week later that actually happened. And so it was then at the age of 10 that I kind of was consciously aware of the fact that, okay, yeah, I have something that's a little bit different than others. And, um, that's kind of where that awareness started. It's funny too because I also recognize that 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 shift, you know, that that subtle budding, I guess, or, or flowering of that awareness coincides with when I started menstruating. So I, I was too young when I started my menstrual cycle and when I started developing um, my body. And um, at 10 years old, you know, I was becoming a woman physically, but I still kind of had the mind of a child. Um, but I recognized that my prophetic dreaming really took flight when I started my moon, my moon time, my cycle. And that's still the case to this day. Whenever I am ministrating, ministrating, <laughs> ministrating, um, my psychic ability is and sensitivity is super heightened. You know, so that's definitely not a coincidence. But as a child, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, um, I, there was some very just early interest that I had in, in metaphysics and esoteric arts. One of them, obviously, was the mythology I talked about, I, that I talked about earlier. I um, was very much about all kinds of mythology, you know, and folk tales and you know, stories of the supernatural, reading up about that type of stuff. Um, I also was interested in crystals. So, and I talk about this in my episode about crystals, my Let's Talk Crystals episode. But I, being a nerd, got really interested in geology and earth science. And so my interest in crystals started from a scientific aspect, learning about sedimentary rocks and crystal formations and igneous rocks and you know all of that field identification chemical compositions of, of rocks um that's where it started for me at that age so um I remember being in um Redlands this is where I grew up which is like a small little township in San Bernardino County that is Southern California between like Palm Springs and Barstow and um it's like such a small little town that there really isn't much as far as like diversity of shops but I do remember there was just this one shop that had crystals they sold um 
stones. And I don't recall if they were a metaphysical shop. I think they were like a little gift shop. Um, but that was about the only thing that they sold that was metaphysic that I can remember. But I remember just going in there and just like being in love with the, the, the stones and, you know, getting my mother to give me money so I can go buy like these little stones of garnet. And I love like the shark's teeth and the, and the patchy tear, you know, the, the arrowheads, um, the obsidian arrowheads. So those were just a few of my early um, esoteric or metaphysical interests as a kid. And then um, I got into Wicca. This specifically happened in seventh grade. The reason why is because anybody who is an 80s baby or that, you know, grew up in the 90s remembers The Craft, the movie The Craft. That movie... It's so funny to me because that was the movie that brought witchcraft into mainstream media. It it, it, it completely created this whole like subculture, kind of like how Clueless did, you know. Um, and I laugh. Anybody who remembers any of those movies, I'm pretty sure you're thoroughly amused. But yeah, the craft came out and then it brought all of that stuff into into you know, into the mainstream, like witchcraft, Ouija boards, tarot cards, doing spells, um, Wicca, um, you know, playing light as a feather, stiff as a board. I'm pretty sure anybody who remembers any of that is like, <laughs> you know, all of that stuff. So, you know, of course the craft comes out and, you know, then of course that also sparked the goth movement. Um, you know, and but that also too that's also when grunge music was very popular as well. So anybody who you know remembers that period, that's when like smashing pumpkins and garbage and you know, all these other like um grunge nirvana, like all these grunge bands and the music corresponding with the the um popularity of the craft. So it created this whole like goth and like witchcraft like subculture that became popular and so I was in that at that time you know I'm 13 I'm like a kid and I'm like oh this shit's cool um so I picked up books on um Wicca I don't know where the fuck I got those books from now that I think about it um I think I might have been going to the library <laughs> I'm trying to remember how the hell I picked up these books because, of course, this was definitely before the age of, of the Internet, definitely before YouTube videos and, and Google searches. So I'm pretty sure I went to the library and, you know, looked through the catalog and found these books on witchcraft. <laughs> so this is me as a kid. Um, this is me as a kid. And then I graduate high school and I go to college. I get accepted to California State University, Long Beach. My major is political science. And my goal is to get through, get my degree, go to law school, become a lawyer, or um, work in government, you know, work on political campaigns or be a policy writer. That's actually what I really wanted to do was be a policy writer. Um, so that was my tension from attention intention for myself uh, going to college and so as I'm in college at that point um, anything spiritual kind of is not there's no time or energy put into anything spiritual I'm not even on thinking about anything spiritual um, in college because I am going to school full-time 
most I've worked throughout my entire college um, years, at least two, sometimes three jobs because I funded my own college, you know, um, endeavors. So I did not have time for anything spiritual. I wasn't even thinking about it, really. Um, so I, you know, that's kind of the time I can honestly say where my dreaming and my spiritual connection was the weakest was during college. Um, but the interesting thing about college is, is a couple of things. One, it's actually when I picked up tarot. So I, uh, you know, my first year in the dorms and I realized I am not in my mother's home and I am free to do anything that I want to do or explore any of the things that I want to explore that were previously prohibited. So I'm like, okay, I just get it in my head that I want to pick up tarot, get a, a deck of tarot cards and just play around with them. So I take myself to Borders. This is how long ago this was. This is when Borders, when it was still open, which still to this day was my favorite bookstore. I prefer Borders way over Barnes & Noble, but that's a sidebar. So I go to Barnes, I go to Borders. I go in their uh, spiritual section and they have all these cool ass tarot decks. And I pick up um, a deck. It's called the Buckland Romani Tarot, Gypsy Romani. It's the Buckland Romani Gypsy Tarot deck. I still have that deck to this day. It's my very first deck. Um, and beautiful, beautiful deck that is um, uses uh, imagery from the gypsy culture, the Buckland um, gypsies that came out of Europe. And I just start learning how to read tarot. I mainly just use the book it came with because, again, this is still before the age of the internet and being able to do YouTube searches and, and Google searches. This was like during the age of Black Planet and AOL dial-up. Like, <laughs> I was still typing up my financial aid applications on a typewriter. So the internet was not a thing. So at the, so my tarot is was completely self-taught. You know, self-taught. I would go through the book. I would, and I would just teach, you know, myself, pull cards, I would memorize what the cards meant, but also I it was an intuitive thing as well. So I played around with that for years in college, you know, with the tarot. The other thing about college too is that it 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 for me it did what it does for most people is it complete my it completely deconstructed my belief system. Because college teaches you how to critically think. You know, before when we're going through elementary, junior high and high school, we are regurgitating information that's given to us in order to pass standardized tests. But once you get to college, like you're taking these classes that are on topics that, of course, are never, ever going to be covered in a high school classroom, but also from teachers who are, and let me sidebar for this, me, I went to Long Beach State. This is where you have the best fucking Chicano Latino studies department, the best fucking black studies department. And most of the black studies department were ex black Panther <laughs> members of the, of the, of the black Panthers movement. So I had a radical ass like departments, like in my, in my particular college. So the types of stuff that we were learning was completely like, it completely blew 
what I had thought I knew out of the water. And this includes like things I knew about society, about polit- my political system, things I thought I knew about religion, because I took a lot of religious studies courses too. So this is where I really started pulling away from Christianity. And I will say that I never really felt comfortable in church, even as a child. And I probably should have, you know, made that a sidebar when I talked about my childhood. But, you know, I would be this kid in in, in churches and I would be just sitting there watching all these people catch the Holy Ghost and, you know, people in listening to the pastor. And I'd just be like so disconnected. I'd be like, what the fuck is this shit? None of this shit makes sense. Like it's felt so fake and so over the top. And so I never really was much into church to begin with. Then when I went to college, I had the justification for me feeling funny about church because college, you know, especially taking religious studies courses and and um, dabbling into theology, it definitely um, brought credence to how a lot of the shit just didn't make sense. Because by the time you're taking religious studies courses, you're reading books and you're getting lectures on exactly why this shit doesn't make sense. So this is my college. This is my college experience. (laughs) So I graduated college in um, 2006. And, you know, my bachelor's in political science. And I get a job working as a as an uh, legal assistant for a law firm, and I decide to stay in 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 Long Beach. I love Long Beach. I you know I have my apartment with my best friend. You know she's working, I'm working. I'm loving my job, making money, whatever. I'm working in the legal field or some you know because I'm preparing to take the LSAT and all that. So everything is great. And then I get engaged. I meet this guy. Um, you know, he was in a frat. I'm in a sorority because I pledge a sorority and, um, we meet and then he proposes. And then, you know, now we're talking about what we're doing because he lives in Vegas and I live in Long Beach. So the question came as to who should do what, who should be the one to pack up and move. And eventually I agreed to be the one to pack up and move because logistically it made sense for me to leave Long Beach and go to Vegas because Vegas cost of living was a lot more affordable and there were a lot more job opportunities and um, it was easier for me to move because I didn't really have as much established as, as he did. So it's funny to me because I never ever thought that I would be in Vegas. Vegas is never one of those places that you think that you're going to land unless you're older and you're wanting to retire to Las Vegas. But Vegas is not one of those places that you plan to be. You just, it's one of those places you kind of end up. And Vegas is a very fucking interesting place to live. I lived there for seven years and my experience there was very interesting. I will say that it definitely was the catalyst to where I'm at now because I, my entire spiritual awakening, my initial spiritual awakening happened in Vegas. So I am 23 years old and I go to Vegas and I'm engaged and I'm preparing to get married. And I will tell you, you know, we did end up getting married. We were married for uh, just under two years 
And the marriage itself was a train wreck. It was a total train wreck because we, neither one of us had any business being married. The reason why I say that is because we were too young. We had no idea who we were, you know, as, as individuals. And it, and it essentially it was two broken people, you know, trying to be married. You know, we weren't whole. Like we, there was a lot of personal work that we needed to do and we weren't even aware of it because we're fucking 23. So I go, I get married. I'm in this relationship that is a perpetual like train wreck and, but I'm committed to it because it's like I gave up everything to, to, to go there. So, you know, I'm dealing with that and all the stuff that comes with being in a, in a relationship that's not healthy, a marriage that's not healthy, no less. But I will say that there was a couple of things that were very important out of that marriage, or out of that situation. Um, my ex-husband, for all of his flaws, the one thing that he was very good at was he was very supportive of me being who I was, my authentic self. So he noticed that I would go to, we would go to church and he could tell that I wasn't really feeling church and he wasn't either because he actually was a, um, had converted to, to Islam. He was a practicing Muslim, but we would, he would really only go to church because either his parents, you know, wanted us to go or I felt an obligation to go, but we would both be in church looking like, okay, this is not it. And so one day he, he just calls me out about it and he says, Hey, you know, I could tell that church isn't your thing like you know if you could do whatever you wanted to do what would it be and after i thought about it i was like well you know i would i would practice buddhism that's what that's what resonates because when i was in college out of all the different uh religious uh ideologies that i studied buddhism was the one that resonated the most and felt the most aligned with who i am so he you know after i shared that he says hey you know i'll tell you what if you find a buddhist group or you find, you know, a, a temple, a Buddhist temple to go to, I'll go with you. And I was like, okay, bet, you know? So I find this group, a Lotus in the Desert. It's a, a, a group that went, met weekly at the Sahara Library on Sundays for a few hours. They would meditate for like 45 minutes, I think, and they would do like a, a talk, a Dhamma talk um, afterwards. And it was headed um, or led by like these older like hippies, like privileged white hippies. <laughs> they were hella cool though. Like such a very welcoming group, very um, supportive. It really was like the best uh, introduction that I could get into to Buddhism. So, and I think they still do the the meetings at the at the library because they had been meeting there for years. Um, so I, you know, I find the group and we start going and that is what started to change things for me was the practice of meditation and getting into Buddhism. That's where the first real seeds of my spiritual reawakening, because up until that time, from about the time I had graduated high school to the time that I had moved out to Vegas, I hadn't really been doing anything spiritually. You know, I was just going through the motions, working, finishing school, you know, paying bills, whatever, just because that's just what I was expected to do. So it was because of my ex being that supportive and bringing that, you know, to my awareness that 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 door opened for me. And I'm very to this day grateful for him for that, because that really was the foundation for a lot of stuff that I'm that I'm into now. Like it was the first seeds of of, of that reawakening. Um 
you know, so by the time I started really getting to Buddhism, I found also a temple, um, a Thai Buddhist temple um, out that met with the monks. And I would start going to meditation, silent retreats once a year. That was my dedication, you know, as a uh, lay person. They call those who don't take formal vows into um, monkhood um they call them lay practitioners so i as a lay practitioner i made a, a promise to go to a buddhist retreat once a year and i've kept that promise every year for the past 10 years except this past year i wasn't able to go but you know it really created a, a very strong foundation for me spiritually it settled me i started to kind of become aware of myself and my flaws and actually it made the 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 uh, and the in the unsustainability of my marriage became even more obvious once I started really practicing Buddhism and meditating. Um, the other thing, I was still doing tarot cards, but at this point, um, I was transitioning. I transitioned from only doing readings for myself to doing readings for my best friend. You know, my best friend, she realized that I had tarot cards one day and she was like, hey, I want you to read for me. And I was like, I don't know how to read for nobody. Like now at this point, I had been doing my own readings for myself for like four years before, you know, or three, four years. And um, I had never thought to read for somebody else until she asked me. And so I had I was like, okay, you know, she talked me into it. She convinced me to. I wasn't at all confident in my abilities, but I was like, okay. And um, I had the book with me, you know, so I, I, I pulled the cards. I did the spread according to the, the book, the spread that was in the book. And then I just, sometimes I'd have to reference the book because I didn't have things memorized. And But the shit was accurate. You know, the shit was real accurate. And then ever since then, she just started paying me to do readings for her. So for... Uh, a few years, even after I started doing readings for myself, I was only doing readings for her. But that's how I started getting that practice, you know. So I was doing the tarot cards and I was doing the Buddhism, the meditation. And that's about the extent, you know, of my spiritual practice um, in Vegas up until I got divorced. And then once I got divorced, that is when everything fucking changed. That's when my spiritual journey got blown wide the fuck open so um the train wreck crashed finally with this marriage and now I'm in the process of separating from you know my husband at the time I move out into my own place and I am going through the full gambit of a divorce. And anybody who's been married and divorced knows that that is one of the most painful experiences that you can go through emotionally. So I am living by myself. It's just me and my cat. I took the cat, <laughs> took the fur baby. And I am going the fuck through it. Like, I can't sleep. I'm emotional. You know, we're young, so we're in our mid-20s. I'm 26 at this time, by this time. So 26, go, completely um, fumbling this divorce. We're doing all the petty, immature shit that, you know, kids do when they go through these types of breakups. So now it's making it even more worse. And I'm dealing with all the shame and guilt and embarrassment and, you know, blows to my ego that come with going through a divorce. And so I'm going through it. It's like I'm, I am 
not sleeping so i'm you know i had months of insomnia so that that did not help that was you know one thing i was experiencing um i became a workaholic because i just i didn't want to think about things so i would go to work you know i worked at a nonprofit, so that was something else too that i probably should backtrack on um by this point i had completely given up on law on law school being a lawyer because when i moved to vegas i became an administrative assistant at the law school at boyd um school of law and i worked in the dean's office so i saw all the shit behind the shit stuff behind the scenes shit that comes with being in law school you know um i saw way more than i should have seen in working there and um, this was also around the time when we were having that economic cr- crash of 2006-2007. So a lot of law st- students were approaching graduation and not being able to get jobs. N- you know, they would pass the bar and then they weren't able to get hired anywhere. But the law school loans were kicking in and they weren't, you know, they were just struggling. And a lot of law students were prolonging graduation just so they wouldn't have to pay their student loans back yet. So that completely just made me realize I don't want to go to law school. I was like, this is just not for me. I don't want to be in this world. Like, I'm good. Um, I worked there for a few years and then I transitioned into working as a housing agent, um, a housing counselor for a housing agency, nonprofit. So I was able to take my political science uh, background and put it towards nonprofit work. So that's what I was doing while I was going through this divorce. Now, anyone who works in a nonprofit knows that your hours, your salary, and you work crazy hours. So I had a key into the office. I had the code. I would go in. We wouldn't. We we technically weren't supposed to be there till nine. I would get there seven, eight o'clock in the morning sometimes we would be done supposedly by five. I'm staying until six, seven, eight. Like I'm working like crazy coming in on weekends because I just don't want to deal with this divorce. I started drinking, <laughs> you know, so I'm in the process of some very like unhealthy and destructive behaviors on, you know, going on the, on, um, as a result of this divorce. The reason why I bring it up though is because this is where things shifted for me when it, when it came to me working on myself. I got to a point where I realized I couldn't continue on like that. Like I couldn't like continue not dealing with it. I, I was like, if I don't get a hold of this, I'm going to be an alcoholic. Like this is just not, you know, I had gained weight. It was just was not a, a good look. And so I had to really just stop and be like, I need to, I need to work on this. I need to address this. I need to face this. And by the time I divorced, I was very aware of how, how I contributed to my own situation. So all my flaws, all my defects of character, I was like, okay, you know what? I need to start actively working on this shit because if not, I'm going to be emotional and in pain for the rest of my life or at least for a good amount of time. And as a Leo, um, I don't like not feeling good. Like it is an affront to my pride to not be happy. So if I'm faced with anything that's making me miserable, I'm like, okay, no, I need to handle this shit. So that's the, that's the space that I was in, you know, by the time I started shifting that. And the reason why I bring this up is because that is when my healing journey started. 
was as a result of my divorce and realizing that I have shit that I need to work on. I started working on my communication. I started working on my listening as well as how I speak to people. I started working on my boundaries. I started working on my self-worth. I started working on my health. I stopped eating meat. That's when I started getting into, you know, being a vegetarian. I started exercising. I really got into my meditation practice. I really took it serious. So I would have times like where, I mean, every morning before I went to work, I would sit and I would meditate. And I would be sitting on my meditation cushion, you know, doing my 10, 15 minute meditation. And I would just be bawling my eyes out, sitting with all the hurt and anger and every all the emotions that you go through when you go through a divorce. Um, but I appreciate that time because it made me really work on the parts of myself that were um, counterproductive to my growth. So that is where I started my healing journey for myself. And that is where I started all my practices that I still have to this day, you know, for, you know, maintaining my emotional well-being, my centeredness. Um, I started working on my anger issues. Um, I started working on my daddy issues, my mommy issues, like all kinds of stuff. And the reason why I'm reiterating all this is because at no point, even at that time, did I ever think that I'd be doing work with other people. This, it was all about me fixing myself. It was all about me dealing with my own shit. So at this point it is 2010 and um the interesting thing is that as I was going through this with my divorce, I was also going through um some issues with my mother. So um as I mentioned, I had you know started doing getting into Buddhism you know when I was still in my marriage and um I had completely pulled away from Christianity at that point. And the interesting thing about that is that my mother took it so personal. When my mother found out that I wasn't going to church and that I wasn't identifying as Christian, it was a fucking battle with her. You know, she was not happy. She took it personal. She was angry. You know, she accused me of like witchcraft, which is ironic, you know, but she accused me of worshiping the devil. And it was just, you know, idols and all those other things. And you know, it really caused a big rift between me and my mother. Um, but it, it ended up where I had to just not speak to her for a couple of years. And me and my mother had always been very close. So it was very difficult for me, well, for the both of us to not speak, you know. So, um, you know, she didn't attend my wedding. It was just like this whole thing. So while I'm going through this divorce, I'm also going through this um, estrangement from my mother. As a result of my spiritual practice and my, my me choosing myself and choosing what I needed to do for myself when it came to my spirituality. And the funny thing that about all of this is my mother, it was it was always kind of ironic that my mother got upset that I was so willing to explore other religions when she instilled that in me. You know, when we were little, when I was little, my mother would always get invited because she does hair. She's a hairstylist. And so she would always get invited to her client's church, churches. So, you know, she have some clients that were Catholic, some that were Lutheran, some that were Seventh-day Adventist. And, you know, we would go, you know, my mother would go and just kind of be supportive and, you know, and whatnot. So 
she didn't really kind of connect that she was the reason why I was so open to exploring other religions. So when she had her fit about me identifying as Buddhist, I just was tickled by it, but I, it was still stressful to deal with her reaction. Um, but she wasn't the only person that I lost, you know, during that time. I had um, one of my sorority sisters, one of my mentors. Um, she was supposed to be my matron of honor at my wedding. And when she found out that I wasn't going to have a quote unquote Christian wedding or that I wasn't going to have a pastor presiding, a Christian pastor presiding, she pulled out of my wedding. So what ended up happening is that I was also going through a period of my life where people were taking my own spiritual choices personal and making it about them. And I bring this up because that is common and that does happen a lot. But when it does happen, you, you have to just stand firm and do what's best for you. And if you lose people, you lose them because at the end of the day, this is a, your journey. This is about you and what's important to you and what helps you grow. I wasn't growing in a Christian church. My Christian church wasn't telling me how to deal with my divorce. My Christian church wasn't telling me how to deal with my substance abuse and as far as you know, drinking the alcohol and self-medicating. Like my, my church wasn't helping me deal with that. You know, but going and meditating and being in, in um, you know, a, a, the Sangha and, see, you know, going to, to sit with the monks and the temples, that was helping. That was um, helping me to be a better person. And I'm very much a firm believer that it doesn't matter what you practice as long as what you do practice makes you better and makes you a better person. So... Um, it was a very rough time for me. It was a very rough time. I definitely felt alone, but at the same time, I, it was, it was designed that way for me to really sit with myself and to sit in my own shit and to be strong and be okay with, um, being emotionally independent. The funny thing is that my mother actually eventually came around and we did reconcile because like I said, we're close and I'm her only daughter. I'm the oldest. I'm her only daughter. And, you know, there's no way that she's going to be okay with us not communicating and not, you know, speaking. So she definitely came around. But she also started to respect my path because she saw the improvements. She saw that I was a lot more calm. I was a lot more settled. She saw that um, I was, you know, my example was impressive to her. And she saw that I started to develop a sense of peace that she herself was seeking. So my mother went from, you know, calling me a devil worshiper and accusing me of, uh, you know, worshiping idols to actually attending a Buddhist retreats with me. Um, and because ironically, she ended up going through her own divorce. And so she needed that, um, that type of um, environment and that type of spiritual uh, support um, of the meditation. So I say that to say that, you know, for those who are on this path, your biggest challenge could be your friends and family. But instead of like, don't spend your time trying to prove to them that what you're doing works, that it that it's legitimate. Don't spend your time trying to prove anything to them. Just be the example. Live your life. Do your work. And then they will see the results. And when they see the results, they can't help but 
to acknowledge the, the your growth and your you know your improvement like it will make an impression on them the 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 results and the example will speak louder than your words and you trying to convince them and it may take a while it may take years it may take decades for them to come around but they will come around those family members that really truly love you and want to be connected with you they'll be all right they may make fun of you they may dismiss you they may roll their eyes they may belittle you in the beginning they may tease you make fun of you but over time they will come to see so i just wanted to give you that encouragement and just throw that out there so i spent two years in that process i spent from about 2010 to 2012 just really doing that work and in the meantime like you know i'm hanging out you know, I may be dating a little bit here and there, um, and you're hanging out with friends, you know, doing the, the Vegas thing, the nightlife thing. And then 2012 comes, and there's two specific um, events that completely, just completely changed the game for me. The first thing is that I met my twin flame. And I'm not going to get too much in the di- into the dynamics of twin flames, and some people don't believe in twin flames. They feel like it's a bunch of bullshit. I can only speak to my own experience. And my experience is that twin flames are definitely real. My experience is that you only get one twin flame. You have multiple soulmates, but you only have one twin flame. Um, and my experience is that, you know, your twin flame could either be someone of the opposite sex or someone of the same sex. But it's a very intense fucking relationship. So... You know, at this point, I'm going to poetry events. This is how I got into to sharing my poetry because I, I forgot to mention that I, I've been writing and writing poetry since I was a kid. And so in order for me to deal with life, that's how that's what I do. I process through my poetry. So a friend of mine at the time, you know, she was like, you know, she was like, hey, you know, you should go to some open mics. So we go to some open mics and then she fucking signed me up to to share my poetry. I was so mad at her. She signs me up on this open mic and then I'm horrified when they call my name to come up to the mic to, to speak, you know, to share my poetry. But I got to do it because she signed me up. But, you know, that changed so many things for me. It really helped me get into my, my art and my creativity. So at this point, I'm going to open mics and... You know, I'm either, you know, as as an, you know, sitting as an audience member, just kind of, you know, taking in the art or I'm actually up sharing my poetry. And I will tell you, Vegas has a fucking amazing art scene. Like it's got an art scene like no other art scene in play anywhere else that I've been. And that, that includes Atlanta. Um, that includes L.A., Long Beach, like. You know, I've traveled to other cities and Vegas is, has the Vegas has a beautiful art scene. So that's how another way I started really coping with what I was going through was was diving into my my poetry. So I'm at this poetry event and um I I'm a feature. So I'm a feature at this poetry event and I go up and I, I do my poem or whatever, and then I sit. And then there's another feature, this woman, um, and she gets up, she walks up, and I'm immediately like, "Oh my God, who the fuck is this?" Now, mind you, um, by this point, I'm very much 
admitted to the fact that I am not straight. (laughs) And I'm very vocal about that. Everybody knows, you know, I'm very open about the fact that I'm not straight, that um, I identify as queer and my sexual orientation. So um, I meet, you know, I see this woman and she comes up and she's like, you know, she goes, you know, she gets on the podium and she spits this poetry that's amazing, but it's just her whole demeanor and her, you know, she's beautiful, like sexy as fuck and her whole swag. And I'm like, I could completely tell that she's not from Vegas or anywhere on the West Coast for that matter. And I'm just completely like impressed and like damn near obsessed. Right. So then after, you know, she does her set, um, uh, a friend of mine I'm with, she, you know, wanted to go and talk to her, uh, the poet. And, um, and I'm not going to name the poet's name. Anybody who knows me from Vegas times know who it was because we ended up, I, me and her ended up dating. So <laughs> I'm not going to go into that part, but, um, we go and, uh, you know, introduce and I'm fucking shy as shit, you know, because I, I, this is actually my first time really being attracted to a stud. Um, so I have no idea what the protocol is for hollering at a stud. (laughs) I'm super shy. Um, and so, you know, I meet her, you know, we introduce each other. My friend is the one talking, you know, whatever, doing most of the talking. I'm just kind of sitting back like, okay, I don't want to be awkward, you know, but I did, I did compliment her and her poetry and then she complimented me on mine, you know, and I was just like, wow. So, um, then I leave and then now I'm, you know, we leave the event and now I can't stop thinking about this person. So, um, (laughs) so I end up spending three days straight stalking some different Facebook profiles to find this girl. And I find her and I add her. As soon as I add her, I'm looking at her like on Facebook. I add her on Facebook. And I'm looking through all her pictures. And as I'm looking through her pictures, she's liking my pictures. So I was like, okay. And then before I could even really even, you know, like think straight to even like reach out, she's DMing me. She's sending is sending me stuff in my inbox. So, you know, we start talking and then she's like, you know, we should meet up. So we meet up. And then from the time we meet up, we are inseparable. The reason why this relationship is is very catalytic um, in my journey is because, you know, like I said, some people don't believe in the dynamic of the twin flame. But from my experience is that when you meet your twin flame, they completely activate your psychic abilities like they they completely open up the door for your empathic abilities, your psychic, your intuition, like all of that. So this is where that really started opening up for me, like full blown was meeting her. So we meet, and then on top of that, this is the first person that I met who is spiritual. You know, she's like, I'm, you know, I'm a minimalist, I'm into traveling and you know doing poetry and you know i i'm into astral travel and i'm into you know all these other like esoteric stuff before i her i hadn't met anybody on that level so um so we're in this very intense and like relationship shit thing uh, or situationship i guess and then she's you know introducing me to all these spiritual things that i hadn't ever even heard of 
and it just completely like ex like exponentially changed the whole game for me with my spiritual journey so now i am with somebody who i can feel empathically now i am with someone who i can you know that dream about you know that my dreams kick up now i'm with someone who it's like i know what they're thinking and feeling before they say it um and you know it it's like it was it was just i don't even know how to describe it and i may even do a whole separate episode about twin flame dynamics but you know they are a roller coaster they are they're designed to be you know they're a, a, a up and down thing because twin flame relationships are specifically designed for spiritual evolution so they will bring up all the shit that needs to be brought up for you to evolve and that that is the case with the, my relationship with her so um I meet her and you know there's this that whole thing going on and then and this is like the spring of 2012 and then towards the end of 2012 um uh December 21st is when the whole Mayan calendar shift happened. Now I don't know if anybody remembers that when the Mayan calendar ended and it was just this whole portal from on the on the solstice of 2012 um that changed a lot of things too because that is when i started having paranormal experiences so um 2012 was when that door for me was kicked wide the fuck open because in addition to me meeting her now i'm meeting all these other spiritual people through her you know, so now I'm actually meeting all these other people that um, I'm still in connection with. You know, these people that I, it, it, it was so odd. It seemed like it, it, there started to be like this, you know, me and her meet. And then there started to be this gathering of souls that had all these ties and these cross connections. Um, you know, and so it's like she started it and then it was just like this web that started to form um and and like i said i'm still i still talk to a lot of these people to to today you know a lot of these people are like well-known spiritualists on social media now you know they've got their own like they've evolved into their own um in their own ways you know but i i remember when we were all this when this was all a seed you know like when all this began like years ago with all of us as a group you know so that is just like what started all of that huge shift um that's when i started getting into really kind of questioning what is my path because now I'm starting to have all these supernatural experiences and, and gifts that are, are fully activated. And now I'm like, okay, well, what am I doing with this? Um, 2012 was also when I got, well, I got laid off <clears throat> from my nonprofit earlier that year. And then I got fired from another nonprofit later that year. So that was when I decided that I was never going to work for anybody else ever again. That I was not going to allow anyone else to be in charge of my 
um, financial security. And it was at that point that I actually started making money off my gifts. That's when I started actively taking clients for, for, for readings. Um, it started with the readings. Um, I wasn't taking clients for anything else because I wasn't really doing anything else at the time. I was getting a little bit into yoga, but that was it. Um, so, um, I started getting into, um, shamanism and indigenous, uh, plant medicine. I started getting into growing and, you know, working with herbs and, and making teas, um, a little bit, but it was all for myself. Like all that stuff was just for me, you know, exploring, like I, cause I started to kind of pick up hints of little things that I knew that I was interested in. Um, but it never really was like, oh, I'm gonna be a healer. I'm gonna do this work with other people. You know, it was really kind of like a period of, of self-discovery because then I'm I'm coming into these these full activations and now I'm like, well, who the fuck am I? Like, what is this? Like, cause now my life is looking completely different than what I thought it would at this point. So now I have to rethink some things. <laughs> And I was, you know, I was doing it at that time, you know, but it was interesting because, you know, I meet my twin flame and, you know, I'm going through all these things in 2012, but that's also the time when my, when things went to shit. That was the time when I started to really struggle, when I started to have a lot of challenges, you know, because it really was a period of testing my perseverance and, um, testing my uh, evolution and, and, and my spiritual and emotional maturity. So it's 2012 and then we're going into 2013. And at this point, um, I had moved out of my apartment. I was living in Henderson, you know, when I left um, my marriage, when we separated, I got my own apartment in Henderson um and Nevada and then I had moved out of there because one of the the people that um another artist had approached me about us um getting a place together to save money because you know we had our each had our own goals and those goals required us to save money so at this point I had identified that I wanted to move to Atlanta I had came to Atlanta my job sent me I mean I was still working my job sent me to Atlanta for um a training and I fell in love with the city Atlanta was the first place I had visited that I could actually see myself living so I was preparing to move down down here to Atlanta so I was like okay you know I gave up my apartment we move in together and it turns into this whole hippie house you know so it's a it turns out from you know for two of us you know when I first we first moved in together to by the time I moved out of there it was eight of us but it was a beautiful four-bedroom house um with like all these rooms and like this you know huge kitchen huge living rooms and a showroom and in the back we had turned the the backyard we put a fire pit and um so now it's like it's like a house full of all these hippies where only a few of us are working and you know so we're having all this time on our hands to dive into our art and like our spiritual crafts so and that's kind of where I started getting more into my spiritual stuff too. I had the time because I wasn't working. I was on I was on hippie mode. Um so my prophetic dreaming, you know, heightened. My astral travel started to become a thing. My lucid dreaming, I started having paranormal experiences. Um, my empathic and psychic abilities increased. I started getting into spell work. I started doing tantra. 
you know so me and um you know my the girl that i was dating the poet we started doing tantric work together you know on each other um because she you know she was very uptight sexually and that's not me <laughs> so in order to you know balance that you know i started doing you know tantric you know I, that's when i started getting into tantra and doing tantra with other people was with her so that's where that started um so you know it was it was a very interesting time um very interesting time but i will also say that you know because it was so turbulent and because it was i struggled it was also the period where all my traumas were coming to the surface so my daddy issues my mommy issues my lack of boundaries like my lack of faith my need to forgive um you know the my physical healing um my mental emotional healing my diet nutrition my exercise my anger my resentment learning how to people you know learning how to be human my shadow work my needing to to integrate my ego all that came out of that time too you know so um you know then I'm, it's worse because now i'm in this lesbian relationship um that i don't know how to maneuver <laughs> Because it was my first lesbian relationship with the twin flame. So it's a complete like intense thing. And I'm living in a house full of people, you know. And so it was I, I walked out of that situation um, with complete making a complete mess of my relationships, my friendships. You know, um, I ended up getting pushed out of Vegas. I get end up getting pushed out of that house because it got to a point where it wasn't meant for me to be there anymore. And this is when I start to see the presence of my ancestors and my spirit guides working um, actively to uh, make uh, facilitate some changes in my life. So I had already committed to coming to, to Atlanta, but I'm in this relationship with someone that I don't want to leave and they don't want to come down to, to Georgia because they had already been living down here. They don't want to come back. And they want to go up to, to Seattle, but I hate Seattle and it's the depressing place. And I have no desire to go up there, but I was willing to, to, to inter you know, to interrupt my, my course because I'm thinking I'm in love, you know, I'm thinking this is what I need to be doing. So then this is when my ancestors start interfering. They're like, nah, you know, you, you need to be going down to Atlanta. So here, well, here's what we're going to do. We are going to sever and um, we are going to break every tie that you have that's keeping you in, in Vegas. And that's exactly what happened. You know, so I was working some little gigs You know, I was babysitting, making good money babysitting um, that just all of a sudden fell through my, you know, the girl that I was dating, the poet, that train wreck finally, you know, again, another train wreck uh, came, you know, to, to, to a crash. Um, I ended up getting pushed out of the house that I had my name on it, you know, I, and I still just, they don't understand how that, like that had to have been my ancestors because for me to have been pushed out of a house with my name on the lease, <laughs> you know, but I ended up being at odds with the, most of the people that live there, you know, um, and, you know, part of it was because of me and just, you know, me and, and, and just the things that I, had, I needed to work on and the need to improve how I dealt with people, but also because 
you know, part of that was spirit. You know, there was just a lot of misunderstandings and things that could have been smoothed over, but it just wasn't meant for me to be there anymore. You know, so, um, you know, I ended up, you know, relationshipless, jobless and homeless. <laughs> and so at that point, I was like, you know what, it's 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 time, you know, it's time for me to go. It's time for me to, to make a change. So, um, again, I found myself in this very, um, you know, um, state of self and awareness where I'm like, okay, well, there were these things I thought I worked on when I got my divorce, but now these things are surfacing again and I clearly need to do more work on myself. So I moved home to my mom's house in California because at that point we were cool. We were real good. And I lived there for about eight months and got myself together. Again, I went through this period of cocooning, um, which is actually how I came up with my name, Chrysalis. You know, so I go in my mom's, I cocoon myself, and I work on myself again. You know, it's back to the drawing board. I This is when I get into yoga because my breakup with my twin flame was so painful for me because of our close connection. Um, it's very difficult to break up with someone that you feel so strongly. Like, not feel for, but just feel. And so I I couldn't sit and do meditate. I couldn't sit and meditate. I had to it, I had to move. I had to do something. So I started picking up yoga. Um, I really got into um, juicing and really again cleaned up my diet even more because I had gained a bunch of weight. Um, I started doing um, violet flame meditations and meta meditations to you know for to cleanse my aura of all the negativity that I came out of, as well as um, working on forgiveness in my heart chakra because there were certain things that occurred, you know, in Vegas that you know as far as me being pushed out that were betrayals. You know, I had been betrayed in in, in a few ways. So again, here I am back to to the drawing board of me working on myself and, and, and healing myself. Um, and at this point, I know that I want to go to Atlanta. And, but I'm not sure what I want to do because I was, I did have the intention of working in a nonprofit, but you know, every time I would apply for something, it would fall through. And it wasn't because I didn't have credentials or I wasn't uh, qualified. It was just something else, you know, would just, it would just something and in, in, in the spirit would just, it just wouldn't pan out. You know, that was, I, I fully believe that was spirit working that out. So I finally moved to Atlanta and let me tell you um, how that worked out. So I had planned on being in Atlanta like years before, like it took me forever to get to Atlanta because every time I felt like I had a plan, something would fall through. So I just felt like, well, maybe the plan is to not have a plan. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go home with my mom and I'm going to, you know, work, save a little bit of money and I'm just going to go. So I did, you know, I did that and I didn't really save a whole lot of money. By the time I was ready to go to Atlanta, um, I had $700 in a backpack. Like I had no job lined up. And I will tell you that the only plate reason why I even had a place to stay when I got to Atlanta is because my sis Ayo, um, Bossy Bruja, she, and this is before she was Bossy Bruja, <laughs> this is when she was Paris. <laughs> and 
So, um, or, you know, we know her as Io. So she calls me out the blue and she's just like, my brother is in Atlanta. He rents, he has a house, he rents rooms. Um, I think he'll have a room available. I'm going to link you with him. And it's so crazy to me because she, you know, at the time we knew of each other and we were kind of in the same circles, but we hadn't really interacted a whole lot. Not to the point of me ever expecting that she would come through for me like that. That's the reason why I ride so hard for Io because she's the reason why I had a place to live when I landed in Atlanta. She she links me with her brother and her brother's like, yeah, you know, I got a room or whatever. Just, you know, when you come, you know, um, and you, I got you. So um, I get to Atlanta and um it things immediately shift for me again um i love it in the south it's such a different environment than being in the desert i love the desert i love the the energy and the intensity and the amplification of the desert um, but it is harsh and it is extremely intense and it can be a bit much if you're not, you you know, used to it. Even if you are used to it, because I tell people Vegas, it's it's whatever you are, you know, it's it's an amplified space. So if you were a high vibration, it would amplify that. If you were a low vibration, it, it would amplify that. Vegas is the only place I've ever lived where you can literally get into anything you want to get into. If you want to camp and hike and go to a drum circle and hit a, a hot spring, you can. If you want to snort coke and fuck prostitutes and gamble all night, you can. Like, you know, like Vegas, it literally is the one place where you have access to everything. Um, but in, in down south, once I got to Atlanta, it was just so quiet and so slow and the green, the trees, like the life, like it was so good for my soul. So... I get down here, no job, no plan. <laughs> um, with my little backpack and my my check, my last check that I got that had you know for seven hundred dollars, you know my last work check, and you know I just start hustling. Like I started art modeling. You know, so for those of you who've been following for my uh, me for a while, and you and you see that I do the photography, like. I, that's how I made my money for a good amount of time, like at least a couple of years. My first couple of years in Atlanta was me art modeling. You know, I, I linked up with Pangea's Garden. I linked up with um, Apache. You know, I would I would model at, at Apache and their Art Mondays. Um, there was a different, there was a couple of art schools in Sandy Springs and um, up in Dunwoody, which I actually still art model at the art school in Dunwoody. Um, and so that's how I earned my money. And so that is where I started my journey with my, um, modeling. That's also where I started getting in more into Tantra and more into my divine feminine work. Atlanta is where I started getting into ancestor reverence because that's where I started learning, um, about it. It was my first time hearing about it. Um, was from an astrologer here in Atlanta. Um, I also started teaching yoga. So I, this is where I start to really start doing work with other people because what ended up happening is that the more I started doing my own work, the more people started coming to me for help for their journey. And I at first was like not sure if I should be assisting people because I wasn't, 
at the time trained to and I was just like well it never was like a thought but then but then spirit was like no you know do what you can do what you have license to do and then you know do as much as you can and then you know if you need to refer out or whatever but that's what I was doing so I started teaching yoga um that was another way I earned money um and more people started coming to me for readings um but my readings started to require prescriptions so there came a point where my reading shifted and it wasn't so much about telling people the future it was more so about pinpointing why a person wasn't living the way they want to live or they weren't having their 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 situation wasn't the most beneficial or they they were living in a, a way that wasn't to their highest good and when my reading started changing and revealing those root problems then there started to become it became necessary to provide solutions because as a reader a responsible reader doesn't present a problem without a solution so then that's when it, it became apparent that I had a certain responsibility because I'm pinpointing root problems and now I got to pinpoint the solution. So that is when that changed. Um, So then I started getting Reiki certified. I got Reiki certified um, because I started to become interested in um, energy work. That's where that's actually as a result of the Tantra, because when I would do um, Tantra with partners, with my with my romantic partners, um, I saw that I had a natural ability to move energy in the body. So once I identified that natural ability, I was like, okay, let me get trained in this so I can actually control this better. So I got Reiki certified, you know, a level three Reiki practitioner. And then I started doing Reiki work with other people. But even that, I, I wasn't really doing a whole lot. Um, you know, I kind of would just, here and there really take on clients for Reiki. Um, So that was like my first, maybe about two years in, in Atlanta. And so I can honestly say that it wasn't until I got to Atlanta where I started really like developing my spiritual skills, my metaphysical esoteric skills. Um, But it was also when I really started doing work with other people was when I got here in Atlanta. So this is where my business was birthed. Therapeutic Vibrations, you know, was was started here in Atlanta because as a result of that. So, you know, here I am doing my thing in Atlanta. And then I start to experience another major spiritual shift. And what that shift was, I started having dreams that I didn't understand. I started what dreaming of, of... what I now know to be Orishas. Um, I started dreaming about what I now know to be Lua or uh, spirits of, of um, uh, Voodoo. But at the time, me being not at all experienced or versed in anything that had to do with the African traditional religion, I had no idea what was going on. I just remember that I would have these very vivid dreams or astral travels or soul memories of these different spirits and these symbols that I did not at all understand and so you know because of course I grew up Christian I honestly didn't even 
know anything about African traditional religions until I got to Atlanta. So I get here, you know, get get going for a couple of years and then boom, these dreams start happening. And remember, I, as I mentioned, I've always been a very vivid dreamer. My you know, prophetic dreaming has always been very apparent. But now these dreams are different. So now I find it necessary to consult with an elder and figure out what the fuck is going on. So this is, you know, this, you know, introduces my journey into the being initiated and being um, a practitioner of uh, African traditional religion. This was started by my dreams. Um, And honestly, the dreams were supported by my ancestors the, the the dreams were a direct result of me doing my ancestor reverence work which is something that I had gotten into full force when I got to Atlanta you know I created an ancestor altar uh that was who I was uh the spirits that I was working with diligently for a few years here in Atlanta before the other uh you know things started taking place I had no idea that it would lead to anything. Like at the time, I just felt the strong need to honor my ancestors and connect with my my lineage. I I did not think further than that. Um, Then boom, a year and a half later, I started having these dreams. So I go to an elder who is now my padrino, who's now my godfather, and I get a reading. And then the reading is just like, that blew things wide the fuck open again. And so then there comes this, uh, through these readings, there comes very clear uh, instructions on who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing, what my role is, and um, and what I need to be doing uh, as far as for myself and for my community. Um, and then, so, you know, I got to get initiated. So I do that. And then it's like, and then I got these other spirits and these other traditions and I got to get initiated in these other things. And so I start doing that. And, um, you know, so in regards to my community work, that is facilitated by my ancestors and by the spirits that, um, I have packs with, that I have agreements with. Uh, so for those of you who wonder why I do what I do as far as my community work and even teaching and doing these podcasts, doing these blogs and doing, you know, my, my, the information I give to my members on the website, it's, it's, it's mandated and, um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's mandated by the, the spirits, my ancestors and the spirits that rule my head. Um, so that is how it was that at that point that my purpose became crystal clear. That was the missing piece. So I say all that to say that this has been a 10-year journey of just these awakenings, like awakenings and then um work and then awakenings and work and awakenings and work and it's been a slow evolutionary process for me. But every time I've gone through that stage I become clearer and clearer as to what my purpose is and what I'm supposed to be doing. I will be honest with you. I did not ever think that I would be doing work for other people. I did not think that I would be put in a, in a position of leadership or having to guide others. I've resisted it. Um, I sat on getting initiated in Lukumi for a year and a half before I did it. And it took uh, my ancestors having to completely bring my life to shit before I even would agree to do it. You know, because 
priesthood and initiations, those are a lot of responsibility. Even outside of an African traditional religion, doing this work is a lot of responsibility. You know, you have to maintain yourself. You have to maintain your own, you know, your own emotional and spiritual and physical well-being. You have an, a community you answer to. You have clients you answer to. You have ancestors to answer to, you know, and you have to, it, it takes a certain level of, um, it requires a certain level of maturity and, and ethics and responsibility that, that is more than most. And sometimes you just don't want to do that shit. You know, sometimes I don't want to be the one that teaches or I don't want to be the one that facilitates a, 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 you know, a a ritual or I don't want to be the one to, you know, whatever the case may be. Sometimes I just don't want to, you know, sometimes I don't want the responsibility of others, but this is my path. This is what I'm meant to do. You know, this is what I agreed to do when I incarnated, you know, so my point is that in addition to all that, other things that have helped me learn my purpose is studying my natal chart, you know, my, my astrological blueprint, um, you know, doing different like Myers-Briggs tests and, um, you know, human design and all these other little things that you can do um, to connect more with like your, your knowledge of self. That also plays a part as well. So it's been years of self-study for me. That has brought me to this point of where I'm at right now. But readings definitely do. Again, readings from elders, legitimate initiated elders. Um, your ancestors are the ones that also that will dictate these things for you. Um, initiations if you're called to get initiated. But the, my, the main thing is that the more I learn about myself, the clearer my purpose gets. You know, the more crystal clear I get, the more confident I am with it, the more I am where I'm like, without a doubt, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, The other way that I know that how I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing is that I've come to learn that the more I take my own medicine, the more others show up for my medicine. And I'm probably going to either do an unpopular opinion about this or just a, a whole other podcast or maybe just a blog post about the importance of taking your own medicine as a spiritual worker you know you got in other words you got to do your work for yourself first before you do your work for new work for other people otherwise you're misguided otherwise you're going to make bigger mistakes because you are going to make mistakes on this you know you're human so you know if you're doing work for other people you i've 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 fumbled a lot of work that I've done for for other people in in the earlier stages of my, um, you know, my practice, and there's times even now where I'm like, okay, yeah, I could have handled that better. I could have done that. I could have been more efficient with that, you know. But if you're taking your own medicine, those mistakes are a lot less um, detrimental. Like they're because you when you take your own medicine, you you know, it creates that level of self-awareness that's required in order to do work with other people. And it makes you, it doesn't make you a hypocrite. You know, if you're administering medicine to others that you're not taking yourself, that makes you a hypocrite. And that's not what you want to be on this path. Um, and then the last thing I want to say in regards to this, as far as how I knew what I'm, that I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing and how I started on my on this path is just you know the the recognition that my ancestors are in charge, 
you know, because at the end of the day, like I am because they were. And I am here to break certain generational curses and I'm here to break certain generational patterns and I'm here to pick up certain things that were dropped along in my line, you know, and I'm here to rekindle and reconnect and reestablish certain uh, traditions within my own family, my own lineage. So the reason why I know that I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing is because my ancestors have confirmed it. They've sanctioned it. They've gave it license and they've supported it. So my point with me sharing my entire journey to date, because <laughs> um, I still have a ways to go. But my point is that just do your work, do your work, do your healing, um, study yourself. And it'll come like there's no reason to rush any of this, you know, um, I'm just now after 10 years fully aware of what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. And but for me, it wasn't so bad with me in my path because I didn't have I wasn't really thinking about the destination. I was just trying to fix myself. I was just trying to um not have my life fucked up and my relationships fucked up. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to get better. I wanted to have a better life and be happy. So I wasn't really concerned about the 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 destination and nor was I concerned about anybody else, but that's just me. But what I will say is that um take your time. Be gentle with yourself. You know, follow your 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 guidance, your inner your inner authority like and and, and do it step by step. And as you, as you continue to walk your path and do your work, things will unfold. You'll, you'll figure it out. You know, it'll come. It may take some time and maybe you may be 50, 60 before you get it, but that's okay because there's no such thing as late or bad timing in this, in this realm. Like everything is divine timing and you'll get there, you'll get it and you'll get there. All right. So that is me sharing my story. I hope that um, what I've shared has um, affirmed some things or provided some inspiration or at least amused you <laughs> um, to know that I, you know, I blundered this uh, dozens of times in, in, in this time that I've been doing this work and I do continue to still sometimes. So it's all right. You know, it'll be all right. It ain't, it ain't going to be perfect, but I truly hope that you benefited from me sharing my story and I hope that it resonated with you. Um, I wish everyone who's listening to this episode abundance and peace and good health and uh, happiness and joy. I wish you a good journey. I wish you, um, you know, fulfillment and, and clarity and divine guidance. And I uh, will catch you all next time, the next episode. Peace and blessings.